Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Now available on Apple Podcasts, Podcast One, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. He's covered the big events and talked to the biggest names in sports for more than three decades. Breeze, end zone, he hit 500 career touchdown passes. From Super Bowls to the World Series, he's been there, he'll be there, and he's here now for CMI, the Chris Myers interview. It's great to have on on CMI a true uh, performer or a superstar, and you know him from uh, WWE. He goes by just... The Miz, uh, but he's uh, he's an all-around entertaining guy, big Cleveland Browns fan, which we'll get into. Uh, and I'll call you Miz. I won't call you Mike, but even though we've done a few shows before. Uh, Miz, how you doing? Things going okay? I'm doing pretty amazing. I'm not going to lie. I mean, you know, you got Miz and Mrs. out right now every Thursday, 10, 9, 10.30, 9.30 Central on the USA Network, but also WWE on Mr. Money, Money in the Bank, which means, um, believe it as it sounds, I can cash in a money in the bank contract anytime, anywhere for a WWE championship match. So what that means is right now, Drew McIntyre is the WWE champion, right? right. He's on raw. And then Roman reigns, is the universal champion on SmackDown. So let's say for instance, uh, you know, Drew McIntyre is in a match and he goes through a table. I can run down, cash in my money in the bank <laughs> contract and go, I want to match Drew McIntyre right now. Now he's laying down on the ground. So literally the <laughs> bell would ring. I would cover him one, two, three and become WWE champion. That's how easy it is when you're money in the bank. So I am doing the best I've ever done. <laughs> Was it Randy Orton back in 2010, right? Mm-hmm. You took it from him, right? So that's and, correct. And, and you get to, is there's actually the briefcase you carry around, right? Now does that have a contract or cash in it or what, what, what's some you know? people use it for other things. Uh, <laughs> Uh, I remember one guy used it for like luggage. Uh, I use it literally just for my contract. Uh, one guy used it as a lunchbox. The last guy that had it. And so I had to actually beat his name is Otis. I actually had to beat Otis for it uh, because I felt like I was a more deserving, more uh, prone, ready for a WWE championship title reign than I felt Otis was. And uh, I proved to be right because yeah. obviously I'm money. I'm Mr. Money in the bank now. Yes. But now did you, did you tweet out something when, when McIntyre won that you were, you said, I don't know whether to congratulate him or feel sorry for him. And that's because hundred percent. Yes. And I really don't like he, he won last Monday. Uh, he had a match with Randy Orton and it was an incredible match, very grueling. And he won. And, you know, it's one of those bittersweet kind of wins, in my opinion, because he probably feels pretty great, but he knows I'm lurking in the background. If he he cannot, he has to have his head on a swivel at all times because I can cash in anytime, anywhere I want. And I'm going to, I'm, I'm an ultimate opportunist. I know exactly how to utilize this briefcase, this contract to make sure that I am WWE champion. So Drew McIntyre's reign I don't feel it's going to be very long. (laughs) And if it is long, it's not going to be fun because whenever you have someone lurking in the background, it's not fun. Yes. Look it over your shoulder. How many, uh, you're a young guy. How many times can you have this money in the bank? I mean, this will be your second. Can you, can you keep it going for as long as you're successful? I believe believe I'm tied for the most, uh, you know, not many people uh, get to have the the money in the bank contract twice. Right. And I've been very fortunate to be really good at, um, at, at being a WWE superstar in finding ways 
to make sure that I am always in the main event light and always in a WWE championship talked about superstar. So, yes. So we'll watch that closely. Now you, so now you are on raw, which is on a Monday night uh, USA and in, in after SmackDown on Friday, which people have seen on, on Fox. And, uh, and of course you have the, the Miz and Mrs. Which you, which you mentioned on USA network airs at 10 30 Eastern time. Now this is a show because your wife is in the same business, right? The WWE. So uh, is that, is that difficult at home? I know you have two daughters and I know we got to tune in to see how this plays out, but, uh, but that's got to be challenging. WWE. Um, I, I'm very thankful for because that's how I met my wife, you know, the love of my life. I'll never forget. I was a host on WWE's Diva Search, and what that was was we were they were searching for the next WWE woman's WWE superstar, and Maurice walks in as a contestant, and uh, everyone was just blown away by her. Um, I'll never forget she didn't speak English at the time. This was about I would say almost fifteen years ago. She didn't speak English at all. She's from Montreal, and okay. so she walks in wanting to be a WWE superstar and goes, "Hello, my name Maurice." I'm like, "Hello, Maurice. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about yourself?" Uh, I will work very hard. And I go, well, that really wasn't the question. It was like, <laughs> tell me a little bit. I will work very... And so it seemed like she had this like uh, like programmed answer that she was going to say that she learned in English. And I was like, at the time, you know, American Idol was really popular and Simon Cowell was uh, like mean to everyone. So I was kind of that kind of host slash judge. So I was like, no, don't give me like a cookie cutter answer. Give me like a real like heartfelt answer. And she's like, uh, uh, excuse me, I don't understand. So uh, after a little while, I go, look, give me a promo in French. She goes, Francais? I go, yes. Francais? I go, yes, we. Oui. And all of a sudden, you see just the light click, and she ripped me apart. I have no idea what she said. I still don't know to this day, but I've never been more scared and more turned on in my entire life. <laughs> And it, and it worked out well. It was enough to get you involved. And you, so it, and you both co-executive produce as well as star on the show. So do you discuss when you're not on the show how, how you're going to produce it, so to speak, and then you be yourselves? It's, it's really more of a reality show, I think, right? It's, it's 100%. Yeah. We wanted a, a show where people can really look at it and go, you know what, these are the things that they're going about in their day-to-day lives. We also want it to be entertaining and fun and family-friendly where you could sit there and watch it with your whole family and just laugh. You know, in the, in the environment that we are in right now, I feel like there's a lot of negativity. And sometimes I feel like you just need to escape your reality and kind of enter something else that makes you feel good. And that's the kind of show that we wanted to produce. We wanted to get out there, but we also wanted it to make sure that it's real. Like I'm from the real world. Like I was on the real world back to right. New York yeah. 20 years ago. And I learned what it takes to make a successful reality show. Like you have to be raw. The times where you have knots in your stomach and butterflies in your throat, you know, you, you those are the moments that people want to see. And, you know, my wife was on Total Divas, which is a, a uh, another show that WWE produces. Um, that's a reality show. And um, I told her when she first started, I go, listen, the moments that you don't want on television are the moments we want to see, because that's the, the moments that you're most vulnerable, the moments where, you know, you're most relatable. And she understood that, went on Total Divas, had a great time. And when we did Ms. and Mrs., we both set out, like, at first, I didn't want to do it. Because back when I was on the real world, it it wasn't like 
like when you were on the real world and you went out to Hollywood, everyone looked at you like you were nothing and that you were a no talent hack that you don't deserve to be on TV. You're famous for nothing. Um, all you did was have a <laughs> camera shoot at you and that's all you did. Now I feel like everything's a reality show, YouTube, Twitter, TikTok, Instagram. Like I know what the biggest movie stars are doing right now because they're on, they're on Instagram 24 seven. You know what I mean? So it's like, yeah. so I feel like everything's a reality show. So I was like, you know what? Let's try this. But if we do do this, we both sat down and said, we're going to give it our all and we're going to give people something that they can remember, that they can relate to, that that is us. And if there are, you know, butterflies in the stomach moments, we're going to give it to them. And, but also, you know, we want to make it highly entertaining. You know, I look at reality shows and a lot of people say, oh, they're so fake. They're fake looking. And the reason I think that a lot of them are fake looking is because, you know, real life isn't all that great. Like, you know, your day-to-day <laughs> life, yeah, you know, right. you watch TV, you wake up in the morning, <laughs> like people don't want to see that. People yeah. want to see the entertaining stuff. People want to be entertained. So we have a little bit of all that. All these things that we do on our show are real. We really did them. Uh, do we heighten them up with music and editing and entertainment? Absolutely. Because you're not going to want to watch something that's not entertaining. That's what we do. We make it highly entertaining, fun, and real. How did you get on the, uh, I've read different things, but in a nutshell, the real world, because I know you were, I think you dropped out of college, and I don't know if it was to be on that show or to pursue something different. But just... 100% to be on that show. Okay. My really? dad wasn't too happy about it. Yeah. Yeah. So when I was on the real world, um, I was at Miami University of Ohio. I was a Theta Chi fraternity, and I was sitting there in my, uh, in my uh, room, and I was watching the real world New, New Orleans. And a commercial came on, trial. do you want to try out for the real world? And I was like, yeah, well, here's how. And I was like, oh, man. So I made a video. And by the way, this was at a time when there was no video. Like, you couldn't record a video on your phone. Like, yeah, this is my, my right. phone was like a Zach Morris phone <laughs> from Saved by the Bell. It was a big, huge phone. Like, okay. And so my editing was like on a VHS tape. And I had this, like, I, I would had a camcorder that, you know, I'd carry around with me and I'd film all these stupid things that I would do. So I had to edit it. So what I would do is I would put the wire into my camcorder and I put the other wire in my VHS and I'd press play on my camcorder and record on my VHS tape. And that's how you would edit back then. We didn't have these Apple computer amazing, you know, things yeah. that you could edit and all this software. We didn't have that back then. So it was a play, a press and play and record type of situation. But I did do that and I got a call and the call was like, hey, you made it to the next round. And I was like, oh my God, what's the next round? A 50 page application. And I went, excuse me, it's a 50 page application. So you had to sit, I had to sit down and literally answer all these questions. It was 50 pages, like asking everything and anything about my life. Like ask a question, it was on there. Like it was crazy. So then I made it to the next round. The next round was I had to sit down and I had on a speakerphone an interviewer and I had to put my camcorder on top like of a, like a TV or something and basically talk into the camera and then of all the questions. And the questions would vary. I remember this question very vividly because it was the weirdest question I've ever been asked in my life. Say you're an onion and I peel away the frat guy. I peel away your family. 
I peel away your friends. What's at the core of Mike Mizani? And I looked at the camera and I go, I, I don't know. Like, I don't know. And I'm hoping that a, an experience like this will show me, you know, what I really am capable of and what I really want to do. Because honestly, I went to college because that's what you're supposed to do. Yeah. Like after high school, you go to college because you know what? Uh, that That's what everyone else did. So that's what I did. I wasn't, I didn't want to do my business classes. To be honest, I was business major, right? right. My business class, I got D's Greek mythology, art history. I'd get straight A's. So like I was totally in the wrong, in the wrong doing, but I just never, I never, I guess there's, oh, there's moments in your life where you can literally look at it and go, all right, I can either do this or I can do that. And this was college. That was the real world. Right. And once uh, I did all the interviews, I went and did uh, a real life like kind of audition with a bunch like 25 other people. It was the only time they ever did it. Uh, I got casted on the real world. And, you know, you have a moment where it's like your parents are and everybody's telling you, you know, to go to college and do your thing. And then you're, you got this opportunity to do the real world. And I took the opportunity to do the real world and the real world showed me that if I have a goal that I can pursue it. And if I really try hard and work towards it, that I, it could happen. And so once I got back to Parma, Ohio, I said, do I want to go back to college or do I want to pursue what I really want to do? And I looked at myself in the mirror and I saw an action figure of the rock sitting there on my shelf. And I was, that, that my <laughs> castmates got me by the way, because I created the Miz on the real world the right. character, the Miz, because I, right. I wanted to be a WWE superstar. And uh, I literally said, I'm going to be a WWE superstar. I'm six foot nothing, 200 nothing <laughs> pounds. I really don't have anything going for me to, to make me a WWE superstar. I never wrestled in high school, but I want to do it. I've loved it all my entire <laughs> life. I loved The Rock. I loved Ultimate Warrior. So I sat down and tried to find a wrestling school and found one in Los Angeles, California, where I did wrestling school, acting classes, improv classes, and to make money off the real world. Back then, colleges would like pay you to go do speeches, like motivational speeches to their students because college is so much like real world. So there I am getting paid to go to colleges to speak to college students, and I dropped out of college. <laughs> but you worked but you worked hard i didn't realize all of those things you were really working at your craft you weren't just like i'm out there on the real world having fun and you you have to though like okay when, when you set out to do what you do don't you like set out and like really go for it and try to figure yes. out ways yeah. to get better at certain right. situations i imagine i mean what was like your process in getting to where you got to yeah it was stu well studying sports right calling in radio shows learning how to speak before I, you know there was television and got that opportunity doing play-by-play -play into a tape recorder watching tv at home before i got an opportunity you know to call games on television so yes at whatever age and i always found that if, if you like it right uh, mike if you if you really enjoy it then it's not work then you're willing to do it then, then yeah i remember i remember when i first got um like uh, WWE had me come in. Like I did Tough Enough. And Tough Enough was a reality show where you could win a WWE contract. I didn't win. I got second place. But I impressed the execs so much that they wanted to give me a job. And the first job that they actually offered me um, was to come up to Stanford and do play-by-play -play 
into uh, like as a commentator. So there I was with Todd Grisham at the time. And uh, we, I sat down and did a whole reel of me doing commentary. And Uh I, I, I told them that that's not what I want. Like I want to be a WWE superstar. And they're like, look, I mean, we, we look at you and we see this and I go, yeah, but I'll prove it to you. Like, let me, I'll go down to (laughs) the developmental territory. I, uh, I will make sure I will hone in like, this is me retired. Like being a commentator is me retired and I will work (laughs) at it and I will, and I will be amazing at it. But me, me, I want to be a WWE superstar. So I set out to do it. I got a contract in developmental territory, was there for a year and got brought up. And what did they bring me up as? The host of SmackDown. And I was like, oh, oh my God. Like, you know, I want to be like, <laughs> I want to be like a big superstar. I want to be a main event caliber superstar. I want to be in the, in the talks of The Rock and the Austins and the Cenas. Right. Like, I want to be in those conversations. And now you're making me the host. And I remember going in with Vince to have a conversation. I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe I was going in to talk to Vince. Like, but he wanted to talk to me. And the number one thing that I took out of it, he goes, smile, let him in. And I'm like, uh, all right. He's like, I want you to be the Ryan Seacrest of the WWE. And in my head, I'm going, ah, <laughs> oh, man, like this is, this is what they see me as. But I looked at it as an opportunity because if you give me TV time, if you give me a microphone, I can right. prove to you that I am a main event money caliber talent. And to be honest, the first couple times I went out there was great. Uh, then I then I was the host of the Diva Search and I messed up the number, like the phone number, like the most important thing. Like we're live. We don't have yeah. cue cards. We right. don't have teleprompters. We're live. And I'm in front of 20,000 people, millions watching at home. And I have, and I have to make this tagline. And you understand like when a company tells you, look, this is our tagline. And it's like the most, the, the beautiful, most important beautiful women in the world or something like that yeah. is, is the tagline. Right. And I say the sexiest women in the world. And in my head, I'm going, Oh my God, I just messed up the tagline, the big tagline that everybody wants to use. I just messed it up. So all I'm thinking about in my head is that tagline. And I forgot my next line. And all of a sudden, I get a cold rush over me. I, I, I have my mind goes blank. It was like you, you know, when people say you freeze. Like yes. that was the first time I've ever frozen in my life, and I couldn't believe it. Like I couldn't say anything. Luckily, they played music to where literally the girls would just come out to where I just have to name the girls, and I didn't even know half their name. Like I can't even remember half their names. And uh, then I had to remember the phone number, which I wrote on my forearm. And I forgot the phone number and I was sweating so much that the phone number washed off my arm. So I didn't even know the phone number for everyone to tell, like, and we're live. Like it was, it was like one of the worst experiences I've ever had. I remember going back into um, the the gorilla position, as we call it, is where Vince is sitting and going, I'm so sorry. I will work so hard to make sure that this never happens again. And he looked at me and goes, I know you will. And he gave me another chance. And this is to Vince's credit. He gave me another chance and another chance and another chance. And have I messed up? Absolutely. But the mistakes are what drive me, are what have made me the caliber of whatever caliber you think of me as a talent. That's, that's because of all the mistakes that I've made. I, it, it's gotten me better. 
Yeah, what a great story. And Vince McMahon, obviously an eye for for talent and and for entertainment. I wanted to go back for a moment because talking about your reality TV background and WWE, do you you think it's a reality show in a sense? And and what what impact has it had on on wrestling over the last couple of decades? Oh, 100 percent. It's a I mean, it's. It's everything. Like I look at WWE. If you want to, if, if you want to be in entertainment, WWE is the greatest tool to for anything in entertainment. You want to be a play-by-play broadcaster? Go to WWE. You can do commentary, color. You can do all the play-by-play you want inside uh, to the WWE universe. Now you want to be a host. Um, you go out in WWE. You are live. You are out there and you are talking to a live audience. Uh, You want to be a WWE superstar, an athlete. You want to entertain an audience. There you go. Go in a WWE ring and wrestle. Like, it has all walks. I mean, this, being a WWE superstar has prepared me for everything, every obstacle I've ever had in entertainment. I remember when I first got uh, the Marine 3 home front, the first movie I've ever done. Went straight to DVD, but this was a huge opportunity for me. Like, I was like, oh my God, I'm the lead of a movie and people are relying on me to be a success. If I fail at this, then I feel like I've I've let down everyone that worked on that movie. So it was a lot of pressure. I put, and all the preparation that I did, acting classes, improv classes, being a WWE superstar prepared me for this role. I walked into that role and I was, I was, I was a little timid. I was like, ah, man, I don't know what to do. I called the rock because at the time I was in a program in WWE with the rock because the rock came back and the rock's the biggest movie star in the world. I asked him for advice. I texted him. I said, Hey, do you have any advice? Not only did he, he didn't text me back. He called me and talked to me for an hour before I was about to go out there. And literally like, he's such a motivator and told me such great advice that I was like, I, I, it was smooth sailing from there. And then I got to do, you know, three more Marines after that. And uh, it, it was an incredible uh, opportunity. And I don't think I would have been able to do as well as I did if it wasn't for being a WWE superstar and learning the things that WWE taught me. Yeah, you have to be an entertainer. By the way, who, who would cut the best, other than yourself, best WWE, who'd cut the best promo? Uh, uh, with superstar today, The Rock all made me want to be a WWE superstar. Like yeah. I remember watching him, thinking, "I like, I want to have that kind of energy." Like when The Rock says he's the most electrifying man in sports entertainment, in all of entertainment, he truly is. Like he believes it, and he walks out there, and you feel the electricity, you feel the energy, you want to hear what he has to say, you want to see what he's going to do. That is. an immense amount of just star quality that obviously the world has now found out about because he's the biggest movie star in the world. Yeah. It's funny. Years ago, I sat on a plane. I was traveling back from a sporting event and sat next to him. This was before this might've been, I don't know how many years ago before he hit it big. And yeah, but he, he, you could see that he wanted to do that. And he was, as you said, you did, he put, he put the work and the time in and, and did all the extra little things, but was a very down-to-earth regular guy. And I, I'll never forget that because you can see that core in him. And I think that that makes him very appealing, which leads to my, my thought on uh, in your business, the hero or the villain. And sometimes you play both. You bounce back and forth. People choose sides. Or I guess in, in, in your parlance there, it's face and heel. Uh, describe what, what that's like. There is no better feeling than hearing your music hit 
walking out onto the ramp, seeing 20,000 people chanting, you suck (laughs) and booing you and saying, you are the worst human being in the world. We hate you. That is what I love. I've been a a bad guy, AKA heel for almost my entire career. And I love it. I enjoy it. And I think it comes from my dad. And I didn't realize this, um, but whenever my dad walks into the room, he's the type of person that he'll just be like, George is here. And everyone will go, oh, God. But you really want to hear what he has to say. You really want to see him. But it's just the reaction that you have towards him. I have that same effect. I walk into a room and most people are like, oh, God. And it's allowed me to be one of the greatest villains in WWE history, I would say. If you watch Miz and Mrs., it's not really the Miz. It's more Mike. And, uh, and you get to see myself with my wife, with my two little girls who, you know, I, I always envision myself having boys. I think uh, as a guy, like, I'm like, yeah, I want boys, blah, blah, blah. But having two little girls, I, I wouldn't want it any other way. Like, I love being a girl dad. Um, I love, uh, you know, having tea parties every day. Um, you know, whenever they, uh, they'll literally put on frozen outfits and, you know, I'll be the snowman. Uh, for Halloween, we were minions. I was Gru. My wife was uh, Scarlet Overkill. It's just, <laughs> we have a blast. It's, it's so much fun. They're always entertaining me. And in um, the love, like whenever I come back from, you know, being away, l- watching my little girl run and hug my leg, like it, it, it warms my heart. There's, it's like having daughters, it opened up a piece of my heart that I didn't even know I had, a piece of love that I didn't even know I had. And now I have it and I love it. And it's, but honestly, as much as I love it, it is a lot of work, a lot lot more work than I ever thought it would be. (laughs) I remember when my friends would like call me up and be, or I'd call my friends up with kids and I'd be like, dude, let's go out. Because dude, I got kids, but we got kids, whatever. I got dogs. It's fine. It's not the same. It's 100% not the same. And now I understand. And now I call them and I go, I'm so sorry. I had no idea. I thought I had an idea of what it's like to have kids, but I I had not, I didn't. And I apologize for always sitting there saying, Oh, he never wants to go out. He never wants to do anything. He always uses excuses. I got kids, blah, blah, blah. Now I get it. And I understand it is a lot of work. And it's like the hardest job is not being a WWE superstar. It's being a parent. So for all the moms and dads out there, I support you. Like you have the hardest, <laughs> the stay-at-home moms and dads have the hardest job in the world, one hundred percent. And I think, look, I think it's going to get even more challenging as as they grow older. Now, they're I, I've seen they're very young. Do they know what what their mom and dad do? Do they know that you wrestle in the ring and that you're this supposed bad guy or or he? We, we let them watch it. I think they just like the colors and the the music and the bright lights. I don't think they understand as of yet. Uh, I, actually, I know they don't understand because if they did, they would treat me like a, a superstar. Uh, they treat me basically like I am their, their maid and that I need to do, be, do everything for them. Uh, if they want it, they will literally annoy me until they get it. Um, and so it's just one of those situations. Yeah, is the is the so the USA Today show the the Miz and, and Mrs. Is that kind of maybe setting up the audience for for you to be more of a face and less of a heel? I mean, I know because sometimes over history 
you know, the people have shifted back and forth. You'd think, you'd think that a show, a family oriented show that makes you laugh, that entertains you. Um, you know, I mean, uh, the things I do on this show are pretty incredible and they're very vulnerable. And whenever you're very vulnerable, it kind of makes you into a relatable character and people like you. Um, that hasn't happened for me in WWE. I guess I'm just really good at being hated as the <laughs> character, as the Miz. And even if you do like me, I can literally get on a microphone and make you hate me for that moment. And then you'll go back watching Miz and Misses. Okay, fair enough. How, who, do you have a favorite heel of all time? Me. Uh, that's, <laughs> that would be the heel Miz uh, talking. Um, I, I, I don't really look at people as heels and faces. I looked at them as, as superstars. Like I loved the ultimate warrior. Uh, he was always a good guy, but even if he was a bad guy, I would have still liked him. I just loved his energy. The rock, whether the rock was bad or the rock was good. I always wanted to hear and see what he was going to do. So I, I, I just enjoyed the character. So it wasn't healer face for me. It was a character thing for me. All right, and, and your signature move, how would you describe the skull-crushing finale? I mean, if, if, so if you were telling... Think of a full Nelson. Uh, I put you in a full Nelson, and then I sweep your leg to the front where you land on your skull. It's called skull-crushing finale because it's your skull that hits the mat, it's crushing your skull, and it's the last thing you'll see. Skull-crushing uh, finale. Do you ever feel sorry for any of your, uh, your, your no. opponents? No, no okay. they're doing the same thing to me. They're trying to put on their RKOs and their Claymore kicks, you know? So I'm going to make sure that I hit the Skull Crush Finale before that. Well, it's very clear, too, uh, Miz, that, that your, uh, your impromptu and acting classes, along with your interests, you knew what you wanted to be. Those, those come into play. Do you ever, have, you ever forget, like, hey, I'm, this is the real me or I'm, I'm, this is me playing a role? Is there ever a line there where you get, you get uh, which one am I? No, I, it was for a little while, like when I first started doing The Miz on The Real World 20 years ago. But I've been doing this for so long that I can just go in and out of The Miz all the time. And honestly, whenever I start going into The Miz at home, Maurice is very quick to check me. All right, fair enough. A couple of quick, well, before we let you go, five for finding. Five questions here. I just got, these are basics. You finished the line for me. Uh, number one is, uh, worst job I ever had was what? Uh, either flipping burgers for my dad at Mr. Hero, but honestly, I love that job or being a box stacker for JC Penny. <laughs> I also, I also was a, uh, cl a clothes folder for Abercrombie and Fitch and a greeter, by the way, a so greeter. that wasn't really a bad job. All I had to do was say, Hey, how you doing? Hey, well, thanks for shopping here. Hey, I really appreciate it. That was probably the easiest one. Yeah, as I say, you have the you have the right social skills for that. All right, uh, my drink of choice is it doesn't have to be alcohol; it could be any kind of beverage. But what is your oh, drink? Oh, a uh, almond milk latte with sugar-free vanilla. All right, it sounds too healthy. Uh, here we go. I could go without looking at my phone for blank. Oh, I don't even need it for a day. If, yeah, really? Uh, unless unless I'm working, like right. so. For instance, right now I need my phone because I'm on it. Right. Um, but or if I have to do some promotions for some other things like if I'm working then I need the phone but obviously I don't need it like I'd, I'd rather just play with my daughters honestly when I come home I kind of put the phone away so I can be there and present with my daughters and they don't just see me on the phone all the time okay yeah so as active as you are that's good that you can separate some people are just addicted it's we're, we're all guilty at times uh here we go a couple more I don't feel comfortable when wearing blank 
I don't feel comfortable wearing speedos. Uh, I never have. <laughs> I never. I never liked them. That's a good uh, thing. But I wear them in WWE. Uh, I'll never forget when uh, Vince told me that. Uh, I, I so I got fired from WWE by uh, Jeremy Piven when he was a guest host on Monday Night Raw. Yes. So the next <laughs> week, I came back in a mask, and I had to fool everyone, right? And I normally wore shorts. So no one ever saw me in, like, the Speedo gear that you see me wearing today. So I was like, oh, I'll disguise myself in this Speedo gear, put a mask over my head, and I'll be on a contract on a pole match. I win the contract on a pole match. I get back, and Vince goes, you got great legs. You're wearing Speedos from now on. And I was like, oh, man. Oh, oh, so I'm still not even comfortable in them. Well, that's interesting. All right, now this one, you, we, we heard of reality TV shows, so we, we know that. But if they're making a movie about your life, uh, what, when it's all said, what, what would the title be? Oh, man. I don't know. Welcome to my reality. <laughs> <laughs> it could be, or the, you know, it, could be, it could be used from a, a previous title of Almost maybe, Famous. Maybe <laughs> I'm the Miz and I'm awesome. Maybe use my catchphrase. <laughs> and, and not so modest. Well, before I let you go, I, I have to, you know, maybe down the road, when you've done everything else, you could actually call Cleveland Browns games. Would you enjoy that? Would that be a, a oh, nice my God. touch to your career? That would be a true. I, uh, I watch every Browns game. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a lifelong fan. Ever since the Bernie Kosar days when I was a child singing Bernie, Bernie. Oh, yes. yeah. Super Bowl. <laughs> I remember that. I still remember that vividly in in my school bus, all of us singing it, driving to school. So, yeah, I mean, I, I'm a lifelong fan. I love what the Browns have done this year. Uh, putting Stefanski as the coach. I feel like he. It, this is a very well, you know, you always see like, oh, it's a very well-coached team. You never know what that means. And then when you're a fan of the Browns, you finally realize when you have a good coach because you see it and you see the schemes that he's plotting and playing. And you're like, Oh wow. And you know, a lot of people have given Baker a little hard time. I think Baker just needs to have a coach for more than a year and an offense that he can run for more than a year. And I think he has the talent that he needs. I think Stefanski is working him perfectly. I think the run game is exactly where it's at. Nick Chubb, Kareem Hunt working it towards it. And I think the defense, Miles Garrett is the best defensive player in the NFL right now. And this is the first time that in my, in my life that I can remember that I was like, wow, this is a playoff caliber team. Like, I can't remember the last time, like every year I'd go, we're going to Super Bowl, we're going to Super Bowl. And everyone would laugh at me. Everyone would laugh at me. This is the first time that I say we're going to the Super Bowl and people are like, yeah, but they kind of like, yeah, no, they're not, but they're a good team. And it's yep. like, oh wow, you're giving me a compliment. The Browns <laughs> a compliment that that we're a good and we are a good team. It's a good yeah. team, and I'm excited for the years to come. I think it's a young team, and I think that uh, for years to come, I think that we're going to be talked about as a uh, as a franchise to be dealt with. Yeah, they're, they're entertaining. Let's finish with this because you touched on it at, at, back when you were speaking at colleges. What what, what would be your most uh, significant message if you had to streamline one thought that you would either tell the students then that you remember now that you would repeat to people if if you were talking to them about what was going where they were headed in their lives yeah the best advice i've ever gotten uh i remember i was believe it or not i was at the playboy mansion and i saw a superstar named billy kidman and i went up to him and this is before i was a WWE superstar this was what i was trying to get get there 
And, you know, they always tell you when you're, when you're learning, you know, the art of professional wrestling, that if you see a WWE superstar, you know, pepper him with some questions and be a sponge. So I always go up to him and I go, what advice do you have for me to become a WWE superstar? And he said, honestly, people are going to tell you so many different things. The, the best advice I've ever gotten was stick with it. And I never, I, I was always like, that's it. That's, that's it? all you're giving me. And then as years progressed, I watched, you know, people, you know, leave uh, the, the training facility that I was at for many different reasons, some money, some family, you know, uh, some because the, their loved ones. Um, but sticking with it was the best advice because there are times when you doubt yourself, when you think, God, I don't know if, if I can do this. I don't know if, if this can happen. Like you doubt yourself. You have those moments. And if you stick with it, only, only good can happen because if yeah. you sacrifice it all, you work hard. At least, you know, you did everything in your ability that, that you could to try to become what you want to become. That's good advice. Yeah. Because then, you know, if it didn't work out, then that wasn't meant to be, but you gave it your best shot. Well, I always enjoyed talking to you. Good luck to your Browns. Uh, we'll be watching Thank close you. with your briefcase. Super Bowl. And best, and, and, and best to you and the family, The Miz. Uh, we'll see you, you next time here on CMI, The Chris Myers Interview. Thanks for listening to CMI, The Chris Myers Interview. Make sure to subscribe, rate, review, and spread the word. Get new episodes every Wednesday on Podcast One, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. 